It's good to be back. You know, when I came here four and a half, five years ago, uh, Michael was still in high school and he was uh, visiting campuses, but I was so impressed with Sterling Campus, the faculty that I met, uh, your president, uh, the arts and the sports teams here, and the spiritual atmosphere on campus, uh, the Christ-centeredness. I was so impressed that I said, Mikey, you got to check out this place. And he did, and he's here, and I can't believe he's getting ready to graduate. You know, as you're singing up here, I'm, you have te- I have tears in my eyes because this will soon be over. But alas, I have a senior in high school. And she's doing campus visits right now, too, so I'm praying for her discernment, and I would not be disappointed if she lands here. Um, Sterling has exceeded our expectations for many reasons. Have you ever felt that your expectations have, have not been met, even from God? Your expectations of God were not met. For, for example, you may have prayed about certain things. You may have been asking specifically, praying in faith, God, you need to answer that, but he fails to meet your expectation. And it hurts. When I was in high school, I was kind of lonely as a Christian kid. And I was so excited that I was going to go to a small Christian college in Chicago area Because for the first time, I'm leaving a huge public high school in New York. I'm going to Chicago area to a Christian high school, and and I can have Christian friends now. I can meet the woman of my dreams there. It was Wheaton College. uh, But the first two years of of my Wheaton college experience, I, I was lonely. I felt like I was crashing someone's family reunion. I felt out of place. My best friend became the hall closet in one of my dorms where I'd hide out and just cry out to God, what am I doing here, and why did you lead me here? Well, Jesus was doing an awful lot of uh, things. He was in chapter 3 of Mark. He was healing people. He was ministering to them. He was delivering them from demonic oppression and possession. He was healing them from diseases. He was teaching. And Jesus being fully God, fully human, he needed solitude. So Jesus would need some time away. And in verse 8, then we read, When they, the crowds, heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Not only were they following him from Galilee, but now he was attracting even more people from the north, south, east, and west. So much so that Jesus had to inform his disciples, guys, you need to find a small boat for me. Because, uh, you know, the paparazzi are after me in a way. And and in verse 9, the people keep coming to crowd crowd him. And and why did Jesus attract so many in verse 10? Because he had healed many. So that those with diseases are pushing forward to touch him. That word pushing forward literally means crushing him. In Luke's account of the same story, all of the crowd sought to touch him, for power came forth from him and healed them all. Anytime someone would even touch Jesus from a distance, they'd be healed. Can you imagine if a faith healer were, were here this morning instead of me? If, if a known faith healer, proven, had healed hundreds, if not thousands of people, if he were your speaker this morning then this place would be jam-packed. In fact, there'd be a line up to Sonic for people coming to get in. In fact, I would probably have come from McPherson 
just to see this guy in action, a faith healer. You know, I'd come for, for one reason alone. I'd want him to place his hand on my head so that I'd have the Justin Bieber hair of my middle school years again. <laughs> and speaking of hair, you know, have you ever noticed that some faith healers on televangelists and whatnot, you know, they have comb overs like this? And I'm thinking that does not make sense. You know, I had, why don't you just lay your hand on your head and pray? You know, why do you try to hide your, your male pattern baldness, you know? And what, own it, you know? Be proud, be loud and proud about your baldness or heal it for heaven's sake. You're a faith healer. Well, the crowds ran to Jesus because he met their needs physically, emotionally, and spiritually. In verse 11, whenever the impure spirit saw him from within people who were oppressed, when they saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And in verse 12, but he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Now that's an unusual verse. You know, one would think that Jesus would want his name to be known and proclaimed. He came to make the good news known, and yet he's telling these people to be quiet about these miracles, be quiet about the fact that he is the Son of God. Why the big secret? I think maybe two main reasons. There are probably many more, but the the two main ones I could think of is this. In the Gentile nations, uh, the leaders and the dictators and the kings, they demanded the people to call them sons of God. Like, for example, the Pharaoh of Egypt, son of Ra, he demanded to be called. But when Jesus came, he didn't want people to, to see him that way, and he as king or his kingdom. Rather, he didn't come to lord it over people. He came to be the servant of people, and he wanted his disciples to learn from his example. We are here to serve. The Son of Man came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to be Lord in the sense of demanding people to, on earth, call him um, uh, son of God. And so he didn't want people to, to, um, he didn't want people to uh, come to him simply for those reasons. His kingdom was not about that. His kingdom, let me give you an example. I'm kind of speaking nonsense here. Example, I just returned from Houston with 16 from our church. We took a long weekend to go serve people in Houston, clean up the mess, and it, it, that exceeded my expectations too, just the mess. You know, there was garbage piled this high. You turn into nice neighborhoods. You think, what are we doing here? You turn the corner, and there's garbage. It looks like India or something, just, or just dump sites because they had to eliminate everything from their home down to the studs on their walls. And so we worked hard. But when I was there, I served alongside a youth pastor one day, and a youth pastor who had been serving for five weeks straight, every day, leading groups like ours into the community to serve them. And this youth pastor said, I just read in a large Houston newspaper this title, It says, church outshines FEMA 80 to 20%. That's amazing, isn't it? God is receiving so much glory. Christ is being um, glorified and, and celebrated in Houston. People are coming to Christ because of this tragedy. He's using it for the good for those who love the Lord. 
And that's why Jesus came, to be a servant like this. And that's what his kingdom was about. And then secondly, Jesus didn't want them to proclaim yet about his Godhead because he knew how fickle these crowds were. He knew that as long as the crowds were getting their needs met, their expectations fulfilled, then they would follow him and celebrate and rejoice. But as soon as he stopped doing, fulfilling the expectations that, that the way they expected, then they would turn on him. They'd become angry and disappointed, and they would even oppose him as his enemies. Jesus had fed 5,000 one day, actually probably more like 15,000, if you included everyone, and they were celebrating him, but then he taught a difficult teaching. He said, you know what? This bread, this is my body, and this cup, this is my blood. You must eat and drink of it if you're to have eternal life. And people said, what? You know, it smacked of cannibalism, and so... At that time in John chapter 6, we read, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus asked the twelve, You don't want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter responded, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then soon afterwards, Jesus would be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and and people would be crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Our Messiah is here. He's going to overthrow Rome now and, and, and the Jews will be on the rightful throne once again like in the days of King David. But then in four short days following, these same crowds were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Our expectations were not met. Our Messiah would never be scourged. Our Messiah would never be arrested. Our Messiah would never be spat upon and not do anything. Our our Messiah would not be silenced. He must be an imposter. Just crucify him. Get rid of him. And Jesus knew that the expectations of the crowd, um, if they were unmet, they would turn on him. Jesus would not meet the crowd's expectations. And they didn't understand why he came. They didn't understand the nature of his kingdom. As I mentioned, when I was in high school, I was lonely. As a high school senior, I remember sitting in my bedroom, looking out my um, window. I was reading a a Christian magazine called Campus Life. And I was admiring all the pretty girls in the magazine. And I was thinking, next year, I'm going to go to a Christian college. I'm going to have friends. And again, I might meet the woman of my dreams and in fact, someone that looks just like her. As I was listening to my friends going to the beer blast down the street and, and ignoring me, rejecting me, not inviting me, including me, or, or my classmates, I should say. Just very lonely. So I ended up on Wheaton College campus. The first day, sitting on on the front campus, we had a picnic, a beautiful day. I looked across campus, and there she was. There she was. Oh, heaven came down, and glory filled my soul. She was right there. It was the girl in Campus Life magazine, the very girl that I saw and that I dreamt about. She was a freshman with me, and come to find out Campus Life was, was published in Wheaton, Illinois. So I was thinking, God, thank you. I've died. I've gone to heaven. Little did I know she would not ever notice me, much less talk to me during my four years on campus. 
And so by the time I was a junior, though, I got up the nerve to finally ask a girl out. This was pretext day, so I had to call him on the phone, her on the phone. I'd planned it. I planned a creative Friday night date like eight days in advance. And I was, she could hear the phone shaking in my voice. But, and I invited Dawn out for a date. Ah, Lord, this is the woman of my dreams. She checked her calendar and said, John, I would love to, but I see that that Friday, I have to do my laundry. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, sure, I, I, I understand. Oh, yeah, of course, that makes sense. All right, goodbye. Laundry? She has to do her laundry? I got the hint, and from that day forward, I never asked another girl out during those four years. In fact, if my, my wife, Micah's mom, didn't ask me to marry her, I'd still be single, and Micah wouldn't be here. So man, God healed those, that deep wound and he's still healing that wound. And then um, I, I thought, okay, then I'm here at Wheaton. God, you led me here at Wheaton College because I'm an athlete. I was given a scholarship to be on the swim team. I was a diver, one and three meter. Um, and so I thought, this is, this is gonna be it, Lord. This is how I'm gonna be fulfilled. But of course, in order to compete, you gotta make the grades, right? And so my first three classes or, or assignments, first one was a writing assignment. And you know what I got on the on top of the paper? I didn't even get a letter. I got, see me in my office. I didn't know how to write in high school. So I had to learn that in college. And then my, my second assignment was a, a test, economics. I had no clue whatsoever. I got a 69%. Okay. Um, and then the third assignment was a speech. And I almost wet myself literally when I was out there because I was really shy and I'd never done public speaking at all. And I literally contemplated suicide after I was done. I was so humiliated, not literally, figuratively. As I was sitting there, I just felt myself sweating and I don't even want to show face. And I thought, God, what am I doing here? I'm weighing over my head. I was on the fast track to becoming a major disappointment, not only in my family, but my coach, myself, and even God. How do you respond when God fails to meet your expectations? Um, do you grow bitter and turn away from God? Or do you trust him regardless and grow better? Become more like Christ? The disciples, like the crowds, had similar expectations of the Messiah. They thought he was going to be this, this uh, earthly king and overthrow Rome. And they too were disappointed when Jesus would not do that. And Jesus didn't live up to their expectations, especially when they watched his humiliation, his crucifixion, and his death. And they became lost in despair and hopelessness. Yet Jesus still had plans and expectations for his disciples. We read in verse 13, Jesus went up to the mountainside and called to him those who he wanted. And they came to him and he appointed the 12 that they might be with him that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. Jesus had grand expectations for his disciples, and uh, his expectations would not be thwarted because, Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in them, he would be faithful to complete it. So we read in verse 16, uh, these were the 12 who he appointed. You know who they are, Simon who was also named Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name, we'll just say Bo, which means sons of thunder. 
And then verse 18, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Who did Jesus choose? He chose Peter, which means the rock, who was anything but a rock. He had foot and mouth disease. He had erratic leadership um, um, abilities at that time. James, his brother John, sons of thunder who had major anger issues. They would rather call down lightning and strike people who disagreed with them. They would rather step on people to compete for the top positions. And then Matthew, this tax collector, a crook who cheated people out of their hard-earned cash to feed his own greed. And then Simon the Zealot, Uh, Zealots would do anything to overthrow Rome, including murder. An organized extremist group, Josephus in the first century, a Jewish historian, would call these zealots daggermen. A handful of fishermen who had no clout or prestige or status in their uh, society, and a handful of other no-names. That's who Jesus chose. And on these shoulders would rest the responsibility of spreading the gospel of carrying out the mission and ministry that Jesus began after his death and resurrection. And would these, would this band of, ragtag band of Motley Crue, would they live up to Jesus' expectations? Despite the fact that in some ways he failed to meet their expectations? And the answer is yes. Why? Because in verse 14, He appointed the 12 that they might be with him. They remained with him when all the crowds turned away because they were disappointed in Jesus for not meeting expectations. The 12 remained faithful to remain with Jesus, albeit that they they were confused many times. And also because he who began a good work in them would be faithful to complete it. Not only would they remain with Jesus, But Jesus would promise to remain with them. See, upon his death and resurrection came Pentecost. Four days later, and upon his after ascension, Pentecost came, and he gave them his spirit that he might remain with them as well. And it is he who began a good work in them. He would be faithful to complete it. Do you have unfulfilled expectations? Maybe you're a freshman in in college. Maybe you are desperately lonely, like you've crashed someone's party here, like I felt at Wheaton. Um, Know that he who began a good work in you, he who led you here will be faithful to complete it. Let me conclude with a thought. I'm not sure if I would have believed Jesus had he promised me face-to-face during my first two years at Wheaton that... uh, You will meet your best friends at Wheaton College. It will take till your junior year to meet them. And for life, they'll be in your wedding. You'll stay connected. You'll become an RA your senior year. And you'll invest in the lives of underclassmen. You'll pour into them. And you'll gain a heart for ministry. Um, You will graduate with a very respectable GPA. Uh, You'll set some diving records and even become All-American in diving. You will travel in a Christian band after graduation for two years, which will land you in Kansas and get your first youth pastor job in Salina, Kansas. 
you will meet the woman of your dreams, but it will take four years after graduation, and then you'll marry her uh, six years after you graduation. Uh, you will um, go on to seminary, receive your master's. Uh, you'll become a youth pastor, served in that capacity for 19 years. You'll have three wonderful children, um, one landing at Sterling College, um, and you'll even speak at his chapel twice. Um, you'll spend your life as a teacher, um, as a leader of a healthy church. Uh, you'll be a discipler of, of even bank presidents and CEOs, uh, people who used to intimidate me to no end. Um, I would have never, ever, ever believed Jesus had he appeared to me face to face and looked at me and said, this is what I have planned for you. These are my expectations for you. I would have said, no, you're, you're thinking of someone else. I just about wet myself yesterday during that speech. But God has plans for you. You may not see them. You might be wallowing in, in despair of broken expectations right now. But God has amazing plans for you if you remain with him and know that he will remain with you. If you realize that he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. It's his promise to you. So don't give in and don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Just keep looking to him. He'll be faithful. Let's pray. God, we do confess that you have not fulfilled all our expectations. Um, and sometimes we, we confess that we shake our fist at you and we become much more bitter toward you than better because we fail to allow you to work in our hearts to shape us, to mold us. And, and Lord, we also... Uh, Confess that we don't always believe that you have great plans for us and great expectations for us. But Lord, help this truth ring in our hearts and our ears as we leave this place today, that you are for us, not against us. And you, who began a great work in each one of us, it's your promise that you will be faithful to complete us, and we will become the people that you intend for us to be. I do thank you for Sterling College, this Christ-centered campus with so many godly leaders here. I pray, Lord, that these will be formative years for each person sitting here, formative in an eternal sense, and that you'll shape the image of Jesus in each person. I pray this in, in his name. Amen.